This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. Great to have you here. Thomas Watson once said, the bare knowledge of God's will is inefficacious. Knowledge alone is like a winter sun, which hath no heat or influence. It doth not warm the affections or purify the conscience. Judas was a great luminary. He knew God's will, but he was a traitor. And it's true. There is perhaps no greater villain in all of human history than Judas Iscariot. What was he thinking when he betrayed the Lord Jesus? And what can his life show us about the supreme value of Christ and why following him is worth the cost? That's what we're going to talk about today with Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in Northwest Suburban Chicago. You also hear him daily on the national radio program, Unlocking the Bible. And today we'll be talking about his new book. It's a narrative of the life of Judas. It's called Heaven So Near, So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. And Colin is it's wonderful to have you here. How are you? Janet, thank you. I'm doing really well, and it's great to be on the program with you today. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here. What's the deal with Judas? Why are we talking about this traitor? I'm sure you got asked that quite a bit when you put this <laughs> manuscript together. Why are we talking about Judas Iscariot? Well, there's probably two levels of answer to that question, Janet. One is, I think, across the culture, it's very clear that there are many people who are abandoning a faith that they once professed moving away from Christianity, uh, an increasing number of people who at one time uh, would have said they were Christian and now would not profess faith at all. And just looking at that uh, made me ponder, you know, there's a story in the Bible that really does address this, and it's the story of of Judas. But it comes more personal than that. You know, in my own life and really in the life of every person I can think of, um, there's someone who uh, once professed faith and is now either struggling or no longer walking with the Lord or has moved away from uh, the faith that they once professed. And uh, I wanted to be able to speak into that and particularly to speak to to people who may have been brought up in a Christian um, uh, church or in a Christian family, have walked away, people who've served the Lord well at one time and then have become discouraged and have really begun to struggle. I wanted to open up the story and, and really to make an appeal to people to come back to Jesus Christ and to say it's never worth giving up on him. It's always the right thing, whatever the cost, to follow Jesus. Absolutely. Well, we don't know. I know a lot about Judas Iscariot. We know what the Bible tells us. We don't have a full picture of every moment of his life from birth until death. But when you look at Judas, what are your impressions of him as a man? Here he is. He's chosen as one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet he had such a bad ending. There are a lot of people who say, why did Jesus even pick him in the first place? Yeah, I think, you know, immersing myself in the life of Judas, uh, I found, Janet, that he was much closer to me than uh, I would previously have thought. Hmm. I think it's easy to write Judas off as either, you know, a villain, which, of course, means he's not going to be like us. Um, he, he's kind of in, in, that, in that category. Um, uh, and that distances him from us. Or else um, sometimes people write him off as a victim. You know, um, it was also preordained that he didn't have any real choice. 
choice. And yet the Bible makes very clear that he was making real choices all the way down the line. And so uh, looking at his life, you know, this is not uh, a villain. This is not a victim. This is a person who was really a disciple of Jesus. Mm. He actually was sent out on a mission trip along with the other disciples. He was given authority to cast out demons. He preached the gospel. Yeah. So, you know, here, here's me as a pastor. I think, well, uh, you know, this is, this is what I do. So this is someone who's very close uh, to us, uh, someone who uh, saw the life of Jesus up close and personal for three years. And yet within his own heart uh, came to the point of betraying Jesus. And what was striking to me as I thought about it was, you know, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, um, the disciples didn't all say, oh, is it Judas? It wasn't obvious to them that he was the one. They all said, is it I? Right. So they, they had a sense that within their own hearts, they they knew that they had the capacity to do this themselves. And therefore, uh, uh, that awareness, I think, brought the story much closer to me. Yes, but that's so scary because when you say Judas really was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he really was, and he went out and he preached the gospel and he was around Jesus face to face in a way none of us have ever done, the question becomes, well, if it could happen to Jesus, to Judas, could it happen to me? Am I yeah. secure in Jesus Christ? How would you respond to somebody with that sort of a question? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I'd want to say is, uh, you know, the Bible says in James, the double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. Yes. And I think that verse really speaks very clearly to the story of Judas. It wasn't as if suddenly, all in a moment, he just decides that he's going to betray and abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. There was clearly a double-mindedness that was evident from earlier on. Particularly, you see it in the story of uh, Bethany, um, where you have Martha and Mary just after Jesus has raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. And Mary is just full of love for Christ. She didn't know how to express her gratitude for what the Lord has done. So she gets this ointment out and pours it over the Lord Jesus, the whole lot. And you find Judas coming in and uh, he's saying what no doubt the other disciples, well, John indicates the other disciples had been thinking the same thing. You know, wasn't this a waste? Couldn't this have been sold and, and so forth and so on? And uh, you have a very clear difference between Judas and, and Mary here. Uh, for, for, for Judas, the cost of what Mary does makes it wrong. And yet for Mary, it's the cost of what she does that makes it right. right. So there was something in there that um, was double-minded about Judas. And then, of course, there's another whole dimension that uh, we're told that Satan entered into, and that phrase is repeated about uh, three times in the Gospel account. Uh, So you say, well, uh, could that happen to me? Well, you know what? Satan entered into him because Judas opened the door. And he opened the door, not least because of his own unconfessed sin. He'd been taking money from the bag, living a double life holding a secret that was never confessed. So there's a real trail of things that we can follow, I think, that uh, that, that uh, are the roots that eventually manifest themselves in his abandoning Jesus. Well, that's really true. The double-mindedness is there all through the scripture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned in John 12, the story that you just mentioned in Bethany with the story of Mary anointing Jesus before the Passover. And Judas's concern was why the ointment wasn't sold for 300 denarii and given to the mm-hmm. poor, but it not really because he cared about how expensive it was, but because he was a thief, right? He, he was somebody who was dishonest. 
how was that evident? And and do you see that throughout his life? Because here at the very end of his life, he sells out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, it seems evident that money was a major issue for him uh, because we have this clear statement in John's Gospel, as you say, Janet, in uh, John 12, that he had been taking money from the bag. And yet, isn't it fascinating? There's no point in the Gospel where we're told that that was confessed, even when he comes to the Lord's Supper. And you keep finding Jesus reaching out to him uh, in love and uh, here's another opportunity for him to confess what he's been doing. He never does it. So there's, a, there's this double life that relates to money, that relates to a secret. It seems that Judas was someone who wanted to try and use Jesus to advance an agenda that he had himself. Wow. And of course, that never works. It never can work. If you try and tie Jesus to your own agenda, at the end of the day, your agenda will come out on top and Jesus will be abandoned. Yeah. So when Jesus talked about you you can't serve both God and mammon, was that a direct shot at Judas? Yeah. You know, isn't it fascinating that he heard that word directly and for sure it applies to him as it applies in multiple different situations to all of us. And uh, Uh, But for sure, that is a direct word that spoke to and described his situation. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even imagine what that must have been like to hear that in person. And he still didn't get it. It's just it's so sad. But I think you're right. When you talk about Judas Iscariot, we tend to look at him as a villain, as I mentioned at the outset. And yet he's a lot more like us than maybe a lot of us want to admit. And I think we can learn a lot more about his life. And we're going to do that as we go into these next few segments. What we're doing is talking with Pastor Colin Smith. And the name of his book is called Heaven So Near So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. When we come back from this break, I want to get into more about Judas, his background, and particularly some of the prophecies in the Old Testament pointing forward to the betrayal of the Lord. We'll dive into all that when we come back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Jesus Christ. That's exactly why we're partnering with Bible League International to send Bibles to 1,500 new believers in Africa. $5 sends a Bible, $50 sends 10, and every gift given will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, and God bless you for caring. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options 
options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today talking about the story of Judas Iscariot, the name of the book Heaven So Near So Far by Pastor Colin Smith, who's joining us this hour and such an important discussion to look at the life of Judas. When we look at the Old Testament, and a lot of people may not know this, Colin, but when you look at some of these prophecies in the Old Testament, they were pointing forward to Judas. You see, for example, in the Psalms, you see in Zechariah, there's even a mention in the Gospel of Matthew about the prophet Jeremiah referencing the 30 pieces of silver and the price and all the rest. Why is that significant? Why is it even mentioned in the Old Testament, any sort of prophetic pronouncement about this man who was to come and betray the Lord? Yeah, I think the the significance of the fact that uh, it was Judas is that this is part of the uh, the pain of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm looking at uh, uh, Psalm 55, which would be one of the prophecies that you're referring to, uh, Janet. Um, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, and yet war was in his heart. You know, um, many Christians know the pain of what it is to be deeply, deeply wounded by someone you walked with, someone you trusted, someone you confided in, someone who knew your life really very, very closely. It's one of the most painful experiences in all of the world. And I think the betrayal that was prophesied in the Old Testament and that was uh, enacted by Judas was very clearly part of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it certainly speaks to uh, situations in, in which we find ourselves, in which we endure that sorrow as well. Well, it's interesting when you said before, when we were discussing Judas and whether or not he really was a villain or if he was a willing participant, one of the things you raised is a very important subject, I think, and it has to do with whether or not Judas was a victim of God's providence in that you mm-hmm. had the prophecies. There was no question that he would fulfill those prophecies. And yet he willingly participated. For a lot of people, there's a confusion there. Well, if he couldn't not have betrayed the Lord, then in what way was it his fault? How do you deal with the issues of providence and God's sovereignty and uh, what God has ordained before time ever begins? How do you balance all of those different doctrines when you're looking at the life of Judas? Yeah, it's a great question. And of course, there is ultimately a mystery that relates to uh, these things, both in regards to those who are saved and in regards to those who are lost. But I think the thing that was very striking to me, um, Janet, in the New Testament is that the uh, account of Judas clearly indicates the real choices that uh, Judas made all the way down the line. Mm. Um, uh, You find him making a choice to steal out of the bag. There are deliberate choices in not confessing what he has done. There's a choice to go out to the uh, chief priests and to betray the Lord Jesus. There's a choice to come to the Garden of Gethsemane and a choice, of course, ultimately in the way that he ended his life. These are real choices. And I don't think anyone who is lost 
will ever in eternity be able to say, the reason I am lost is because some providence of God meant that I never had the opportunity to be saved. Um, The reason that a person is lost is always because of the choices that have been driven by the impulse of our own sinful hearts. And there has to be a responsibility that uh, that is taken there. And that's very, very evident in the story of Judas. Well, it is. Now, when we get to the part of the story where Judas betrays the Lord, this is kind of interesting because in the Gospels of Matthew and John, it talks about Judas's motive being greed. But then in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about, and we discussed this a few minutes ago, about Satan entering into his body, a form of demon possession, perhaps. Are those things inconsistent? Are they working together? And do you believe Judas really was demon possessed, like fully demon possessed when he betrayed the Lord? Uh, the language of possession is not used. The language that is, is used is that Satan entered into him. Do you know, I, I think, too, that one needs to remember um, in the broader context in, in the New Testament, we're told with regards to Christian believers that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the language of the New Testament. And uh, why was he able to devour um, uh, Judas? Um, The answer, again, seems to be that uh, Judas opened up his own life to the influence and the power of the enemy, not least by his unconfessed sin, and certainly through his own deliberate choices. These events that happened to take place Um, They were the consequence of a path that he was relentlessly pursuing, despite the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ clearly reaches out to him again and again, even while he's on that path. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. So not necessarily demon possessed, but actually giving Satan entrance in a way that, you know, made him go ahead with his evil plans. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, thinking again of uh, the language that's used that brings the story closer to us, we're exhorted in the New Testament not to give the devil a foothold, not to let the sun go down on our anger, because that's what would happen as a result, that Satan begins to get a a stronghold within the life of a person. This story is not remote from us. It's very, very near to us. It is. What do you make of Jesus' reaction to Judas when he makes a comment, for example, did I not choose you the 12 and one of you is a devil. And then yeah. in the upper room where he says, the one to whom I'm handing the bread, he's the one who will betray me. And, and all the rest, Jesus knew who Judas was. It had to be. He knew what where it was all headed. But what do you make of Jesus' response to him that he never chewed him out? He never tried to stop him? And many people will say, if Jesus knew who his betrayer was, why didn't he strike him down? Why didn't he do something to stop him from betraying him? Yeah, well, I suppose on that last point, uh, uh, the answer would be because the Lord Jesus Christ came to give his life. I've come to seek and to serve and to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Um, and, uh, And so very, very clearly... Um, uh, what Judas did played into the overarching purpose of God. But of course, that's true ultimately of all evil. Uh, It must be terrible for the devil because all that he attempts to do to overcome God's ultimate purpose ends up playing into it in one way or another. Even the crucifixion becomes the very center of God's great triumph of grace and leads to the resurrection. Um, But I'm struck by this, uh, Janet, on your earlier point, you know, when Jesus said, 
says, one of you is a devil. Yes, our Lord absolutely knew um, from the beginning with regards to what was in Judas' heart and what, would, what he would do. But it's striking to me that Judas seems to have no awareness of it at all at that point. Yeah. You know, the, 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 he, he just seemed, it seems to go over him. One of you is a devil. And uh, um, uh, how did he react to that? We're, 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 we're not told, but there's nothing that indicates that he had great self-awareness. And perhaps that's one of the effects. Uh, sin, sin is blinding. Hmm. The more we go down that path, the less aware we are even of ourselves. And I think that's, again, part of the warning that this story is to us. That's a really great point. Well, what about Judas and after he betrays the Lord and, and everything that takes place? Many people point to this disparity, as they understand it, between uh, Judas's end in the Gospel of Matthew and how he's described dying in the book of Acts, because in Matthew, he's described as hanging himself, or or did he fall headlong and burst open with all his bowels gushing out as described in the book of Acts? Are those two things inconsistent, or what do we know about how he perished? No, I think that uh, putting these two together, one one has this rather macabre scene in which, um, uh, as you say, in the one statement, he had hanged himself. Um, if the rope or the branch of the tree then broke, then that would account for the second um, uh, description yeah. uh, that is given to him um, uh, in regards to uh, his, his crashing and dying uh, in the field. It's a terribly, terribly sad scene. And of course, the great contrast here is the contrast with Peter. Yes. Because you have Judas betraying Jesus, and then you have Peter denying Jesus. Well, which is the worst of the two? You know, these are, these are dreadful things. Right. But what happens afterwards is entirely different. Uh, Peter uh, finds restoration and grace and forgiveness. And Judas, who could surely have found the same grace and forgiveness. I mean, we all betray Jesus in one way or another. We all let, uh, let down, um, fail in trusts that are given to us. That's what the word betray means. And there's grace and mercy for that. He could have had and known the same grace and mercy. The tragedy of mm. Judas's life is that he gives up on Jesus. And that's the difference between him and Peter. And that comes back to really the reason that I wrote the book. It's, you know, whatever you've done, and however difficult a situation you may feel that you're in now, don't give up on Jesus Christ. And don't turn in on yourself uh, simply in regret and self-condemnation. That won't lead you anywhere good. Look up to Jesus Christ in repentance, and repentance carries with it not only sorrow for the past, but hope for the future. And that's what you find in Peter, whose life is wonderfully redeemed, as opposed to Judas's that so tragically ended. Right. What would you say were the main discrepancies between Judas and Peter, that they both betrayed the Lord in their own ways, but one returned to the Lord and the other did not? Why? What was the essence of the difference there between those two men? Well, I think that that's the difference between repentance and uh, and remorse or regret, mm. uh, that in Judas you find a great sorrow for what he did, but it only looks backwards, and it does not look upwards to Jesus Christ. It doesn't put any hope in Jesus Christ. Whereas Peter, um, though he denies Jesus um, uh, so so blasphemously and so violently, Yet he does come to repentance, and his repentance is not only sorrow for the past, it's, it's turning to Jesus for the future. And that's where the hope lies. Repentance, by definition, is always shot through with hope. 
It is. And, you know, I think it's really significant that you contrast those particular disciples, because if you look at Peter, he outwardly denied the Lord three times and somebody could make the argument, well, all Judas did is just tell the leaders where to find Jesus and took 30 pieces of silver. I mean, in some ways you could argue that what Peter did was even worse. We're going to come back to the discussion though, right after this, Pastor Colin Smith with us. And the name of the book is Heaven So Near So Far. Stay with us. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host. Janet Mefford. Welcome back. We are talking with Pastor Colin Smith about his book, Heaven So Near, So Far, The Story of Judas Iscariot. When we were talking about the contrast between Judas and Peter, and and you talk about this, Colin, I think this is such a significant point. I, I was thinking of, I can't remember off the top of my head which gospel this was in, but after Christ was raised from the dead and the Lord called out, you know, go tell Peter. And yeah. he, he reached out specifically to Peter when Peter had had that incredible betrayal that he had offered to the Lord. Was it not the Lord knowing that Peter had repented, that Peter regretted that he had betrayed the Lord? Is that the difference there? Well, yes, for sure. And another major difference, of course, at this point is that Peter is living and that Judas is not. Of course, um, right, right. Very striking to me that, that Judas died on the same day as Jesus did. And uh, uh, it would not have surprised me, therefore, if he died in the darkness that um, uh, that came over the whole land. Um, uh, So uh, the the tragedy of the story of Judas and the reason that no one should ever go down that line is that it is a path that leads to an everlasting loss and uh, and, and a ruin because what Judas is doing is giving up on Jesus. And that's the central message of this book. And I think the, the warning of Judas' life, don't ever give up on Jesus Christ because there is always hope for every person in him. And you see that in Peter and in the reaching out that Jesus does to Peter. But then Jesus reached out to Judas. I mean, think about um, uh, the the Lord's Supper and Jesus is handing him the bread. That was a sign of friendship. And And Judas walks out and it's night. I mean, these are real choices. And I'm wanting to say to people who may be tempted to move away from faith, don't do that. However difficult it is for you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and however great the struggles you may have had, there's only darkness when you walk away from Jesus. But when you stay with him, there's always hope. Why do you think, in your experience as a pastor, people do walk away from Jesus? What are some of the reasons that you've seen people say, I'm done with the church, I'm done with believing in Jesus Christ, I don't believe God is real anymore? What What is really the the bottom line for some of the people who will say that. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, it, it's, there's always a backstory, isn't there, Janet? Yeah. And, uh, and you will have heard many, as I have heard many, uh, hurts, disappointments, um, uh, 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 offenses that have been taken and sometimes offenses that have been given. There's, there's no end to the stories. And uh, I want to listen to the stories with a sensitive heart and with a patient heart um, the scripture says to us, be merciful. 
to those who doubt. And uh, I wanted to write with a kind of tender spirit that reached out to people who had been wounded on the journey of faith and were tempted to give up, may have been, as it were, bruised at the side of the road, to use that picture from Jesus' wonderful story. And, and to lift up the story of Judas and to use it as a means of saying, look, whatever the reason that you have got to the place of feeling that you could give up on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to give you every reason not to choose that path, but to come back to him and to put your faith in him and to follow him irrespective of the cost. Well, you talk in the book about how Judas and his relationship with Jesus was really all about Judas. That, that was the problem. For example, yeah. you said, because this is a narrative form in your book, my relationship with Jesus, Judas says, was all about me. When he gave me what I wanted, I was with him. But when following him became hard and costly, I moved on. In other words, as soon as it didn't become fun anymore, it didn't serve my interests anymore, I was done with Jesus. Is that something yeah. that you see in the modern context, too? I think that that's uh, absolutely the case, because what has happened, particularly over the last two generations, I think now, is that we uh, have in many cases, not in all, but in many cases, there's been a slide from a kind of Christianity that is centered in God to a kind of Christianity that is centered in us. And the latter, of course, all becomes about um, Jesus making my life as I would like it to be. And therefore, what follows from that is if I come to a place where my life is not as I would like it to be, I'm going to give up on Jesus. And I think Judah's story speaks absolutely to that situation. Whereas, of course, the heart of the gospel never was that. It was always that God, in his grace and mercy, reaches out at infinite cost to himself in Jesus to make us his own, and that we find our own highest good in being his and in living according to his will and for his ultimate purpose. Well, that's well said. I I think also the call to discipleship in many instances is not what it ought to be. I mean, the Lord himself said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And oftentimes what we will hear in certain quarters of evangelicalism is, well, just admit you're a sinner and ask Jesus into your heart and then you're going to heaven. I mean, as it, you know, just, you know, pull the slot lever and you're in. And I'm wondering if that's just a false kind of Christianity in many respects, maybe well-intentioned. You're trying to simplify the message so people understand, but maybe we're not giving enough hard truth to people sometimes that we're not saying being a Christian will cost you. So as Jesus said, contemplate whether or not you can pay the cost of following me. Maybe that is missing somewhat from our messages. I'm sure that's absolutely right, um, uh, Janet, and I'm sure that that speaks absolutely to uh, to the story. Yeah. Well, now, another thing that you mentioned is a problem in Judas's life is opening up his life to Satan. We touched on this a little bit before, but without realizing the destructive power that Satan would have over his soul, beginning with yeah. when he first stole the money from the bag. Can you speak to that problem that sometimes people will say, well, a little sin won't hurt? I mean, God loves to forgive and I love to sin. So let's both be happy. What happens when someone who starts out following Jesus or starts out going to church begins to say, a little Satan isn't that bad? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, and here, here's the issue. Um, sin's power grows as we give it space in our lives. True. So, I mean, suppose a person says, well, it's just a little lie. 
So you tell a little lie, but then it becomes easier to tell another little lie and then to tell a bigger lie. And then what happens is that as space is given to that particular sin, its power grows in a person's life. And eventually what happens is that the character of a liar begins to uh, to form. Um, that's made very, very clear in James in chapter 1, where James speaks about sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. In other words, there's a process in which its power increases. And so what we see in Judas is without doubt, um, Satan's grip in his life increases every time he makes a particular decision. Uh, Satan enters into him. Uh, It's always stated after he has um, uh, uh, made a particular move um, that is um, an an act of rebellion against uh, the will and and the purpose of God. Um, uh, Satan enters into him as he goes to the um, chief priests, again at the Lord's Supper, um, in his walking out and, and it being night. So um, the warning of this is opening up our lives to accommodate and give room to any form of known sin um, is exposing us to uh, the power of darkness in increasing measure. Well, do you see any key events in the life of Judas where that would have been a good time to turn around and actually repent? and walk in a new direction toward Jesus? Oh, yeah, well, multiple ones. I mean, um, uh, there at Bethany, where Mary pours the ointment over Jesus, and Jesus then rebukes Judas for his um, uh, for, for his uh, uh, abrading of, uh, of Mary, wouldn't that have been a great moment for him to confess that he'd been stealing from the bag and that he'd got all messed up over money? Yes. What about where Jesus gives him the, the bread um, and, and offers him that at the Lord's Supper when Jesus had washed his feet? I mean, the, the intimacy of that expression of, of love for all of the disciples, and Judas was included in it, But I think perhaps the the, the most poignant one of all is when they're actually in the Garden of Gethsemane itself. And, uh, of course, Judas is going to kiss Jesus famously, uh, which was the means of identifying him. It was in the darkness, and some of the soldiers wouldn't necessarily have known which was Jesus as opposed to one of his disciples. They wanted to make sure that they had the right man. So Judas is going to plant this kiss. But when they arrive, and there were several hundred soldiers there, Jesus steps forward. He takes the initiative and he says, who are you seeking? Hmm. And uh, one of the soldiers says, uh, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. We've got to go to a break. We're going to come right back and pick up where we had to leave off. Pastor Colin Smith, his book, Heaven So Near So Far, the story of Judas Iscariot. Don't go away. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Women in crisis pregnancies today are often under tremendous pressure to abort. But he was like, you're not ready for another baby. And at that moment, I felt that I'm not going to be able to be a mom to this baby. So I came to the pregnancy clinic. She said they got a heartbeat. That changed my life just from that ultrasound picture. 
These are the voices that a young mom in crisis hears. She wants to make the right choice, but society and those around her are telling her that a preborn baby is not a life. This is where the Ministry of Preborn steps in. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, shining a light into a mother's womb and introducing her to the beautiful life growing inside her. I'm going to keep my baby and I'm going to be a great mom. Join Preborn in helping young moms in crisis. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. That's 855-402-BABY. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back with Pastor Colin Smith from Unlocking the Bible, the name of his book, Heaven So Near, So Far, The Story of Judas Iscariot. And you were saying before the break, Colin, a very key event in the life of Judas where he could have turned around, repented, and followed Jesus faithfully was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I wanted to pick things up where we had to leave it off there because of that break. But here was Jesus, and he kisses him, the famous traitor's kiss, and Jesus goes along with it. I mean, pick up where we had to leave off there. Well, uh, yeah, I was just telling the story uh, of what happened before the kiss, um, uh, where uh, the uh, Jesus actually steps forward. He's been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. And when these several hundred, um, uh, there was a cohort, so that several hundred soldiers arrive uh, with Judas and with the chief priests, and they're all armed. And um, instead of Judas taking the initiative, Jesus takes the initiative. John tells us this in chapter 18. Jesus steps forward and says, who are you seeking? And uh, they say, the soldiers say to him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Now, of course, the significance of that, Janet, uh, I am, is, of course, the great name, the divine name from the Old Testament. And when he said, I am, I am he. Um, we're told in the scriptures, very simply, John 18 and verse 6, they drew back and fell to the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I mentioned the Keystone Cops here. You know, there's several <laughs> hundred of these armed soldiers, and they're all falling backwards on the ground, John's Gospel says. I can only uh, deduce from that that this was an unveiling of the sheer glory of Jesus, like what happened at the Transfiguration. Oh, wow. And they're, they're, they, they fall to the ground. And I mean, it, it must have been a staggering scene. Now, Judas hasn't yet kissed Jesus, but his glory has been unveiled. They all fall to the ground. Now, they get up, they dust themselves off. They then ask again, uh, Jesus asks again, who are you seeking? And, and they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I already told you, I am he. Right. And it's after that that Judas plants the kiss 
on the face of Jesus. So, I mean, he'd already identified himself twice. And so this famous kiss, the thing for which Judas is remembered throughout history, was the most futile thing that has ever ever happened. I mean, right. what was the point of it? Right. And before he kisses Jesus, Jesus then says to him, Matthew records this, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And it's as if Jesus is saying to him, even there, why not? Why are you standing with these men? I've already identified myself. I'm giving myself into their hands. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to be arrested. I'm going to give down my life. Come and take your stand with the disciples. But even there, uh, Jesus is reaching out to him in the garden. And even there, he makes yet another wretched choice and plants this kiss and, and then goes off into the night. It's, it's an extraordinary story. It is. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, you would think if the glory of the Lord was shining on these soldiers, the kiss mm. probably wasn't necessary. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, completely unnecessary. Oh, yeah. man, yeah. that is crazy. Nothing. Well, now, but that's he, the thing, you see, when, 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 you know, people try to set themselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say, if you try and set yourself against the Lord, you cannot achieve anything. He's the Lord, you right, know, and right. uh, uh, so... Uh, the person who's been brought up with a Christian faith and you once embraced it and now you've set yourself against it, do you really think that you can overcome the glory of the Son of God? You, you can't. There's only bad and there's only dark that lies down that road. And that's why it's so significant to me that Jesus even there is saying, oh, come and take your stand with me. Don't go down that road. That, yeah. There's nothing good for you there. Now, here's a question, Colin. When you see in the Gospels and in Acts 2, uh, when Peter's talking about Judas falling in his bowels, gushing out and all the rest, and he goes and hangs himself, some people have wondered if that act of Judas hanging himself was itself an act of repentance. How do you come down on that? Yeah, I, I don't see that that could be an act of repentance because, of course, to take one's own life is really a terrible act of rebellion against God. Right. Um, uh, I, I do not think that um, uh, it is beyond the possibility that someone who has taken that uh, action may yet be saved. The Lord knows who are his. And um, uh, there are times when a Christian parent uh, or a Christian friend needs to rest uh, a loved one uh, who has come to this kind of sad end uh, with the Lord. And uh, uh, that's not an easy thing. But I've certainly walked with many and have come close to that myself in terms of seeing uh, the pain and the difficulty that comes with that. But with Judas, I'm afraid there isn't really a reason for hope. I, I know people often ask the question, don't you think that he would, uh, might be in heaven after all? And I think perhaps one of the reasons uh, for asking that question so often is that people hope, well, maybe if he was there, maybe everybody in the end really will be there. Mm. You know, he won't be there. And and there are three scriptures that make that, I think, very clear. One is the one you mentioned before, Janet, where Jesus says, one of you is a devil. Judas wasn't that at the beginning, but that is what he became. He allowed Satan to take control of him. The other is Jesus says um, to the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. And then in John 17, very clearly, the Lord Jesus speaks about the ones the Father has given to him and how he's protected and kept them all except for the one, yes. which is a reference to Judas. So um, uh, this is a sad story, but it is a story that's a warning to us. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. 
um, and there are real choices that are made, and there is hope for every person in Jesus. Well, it's interesting because then later on in the book of Acts, you have Judas being replaced. What yes. was the reason for that? Because some have said, well, okay, I guess it was just to fulfill scripture because that's what Acts says. Why was it necessary for Judas to be replaced? Was there some redemptive element in that message that someone else will be brought in by God to replace him as the early church started out preaching the gospel? Uh, yes, for sure. I mean, um, uh, there had been 12 disciples and one had gone. And I, I guess the significance of that is that if God is not working through one person, he will work through another. Uh, um, and uh, in uh, his mercy, he gets his work done. Yeah. Um, and and that, again, simply, I think, plays into the fact that uh, um, a thinking person will want to to play their part in the purpose of God and not to pull themselves away from it and move outside of it. Well, when we're speaking about repentance, and I was a little tongue-in-cheek when I said wasn't committing suicide an act of repentance, in that he felt sure. so horrible he wasn't doing a victory yeah. dance or anything like that. And I know clearly you're absolutely right about that. But you say in the book what was really going on with Judas was he was contrite but he didn't pursue repentance. So yeah, as you yeah. apply that pastorally to somebody who might be listening and feeling a little conviction, well, I'm sort of, I'm sorry for my sins in general, but I don't know if I've really repented of my sins and followed Jesus the way Peter did. How do you counsel somebody to make sure that you are repenting like Peter and not merely expressing some contrition like Judas did? Yeah, so, uh, and that's where the distinction, I think, between re uh, remorse or regret, um, uh, only looking backwards and only looking inwards, and repentance that looks forwards and looks upwards to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the real difference there. And so, I, yeah, I know what it is as a pastor to have the privilege of talking with someone who has very, very bitter remorse over something that they've done. And then to try and to say to them, now look, um, that's good in as far as it goes, but it will only lead you to self-condemnation. What you have to do now is look away from uh, yourself and up to the Lord Jesus Christ who holds forgiveness in his hands and has a future for you. And repentance involves putting your hope and your trust in him. So uh, the point about Judas is there isn't hope, there isn't a future that he can see at all. Um, repentance takes us to a very different and a much better place that's beautifully modeled for us by Peter. Right. Very good. So when somebody asks the question, how do I know that I'm genuinely saved? How do I know? How do, how do I attain that sort of assurance? Well, you know, um, on the question of assurance, and uh, you helpfully made the comment about, you know, isn't this a bit sort of scary for, for, for a Christian believer? I, I am absolutely convinced from the Bible about the eternal security of believers. Jesus says, I give them, that's my sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. But then the question, of course, is who are these sheep that will never perish? And Jesus makes it very clear. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And so that's at the heart of it. What, what is the evidence that your faith is genuine? Well, true faith perseveres. Yeah. It just does. Absolutely. And the good news about that is that if a person wanders away from faith, and if their faith was true, then they will come back. 
If they don't come back, it was never a real faith. So I want to say you come to Jesus and uh, either as a means of evidence that your original faith was true or if it wasn't, then you make sure you come to Jesus and become a follower of him now. That's where hope is. I love it. Absolutely love it. Pastor Colin Smith, Heaven So Near So Far, UnlockingTheBible.org, his website. God bless you. Thank you, Colin, for being here. Great pleasure. God bless. All right. God bless you. This hour of Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.